These fish have manners. In fact, they're coming with me. I'm starting a new company, and the fish will come with me. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. weeks ago, we did a show called An Episode for Those Who Need a Business Idea. I was just looking at the comments. There's so many people interacting there, almost 100 comments, people talking about, hey, I launched that service, or I have that service, or I want to buy that service. And so thank you for donating your ideas and for participating with other people who are starting businesses based on that show. I looked at that episode, and I realized that it's, it's actually part of a natural series that we've been developing here at the podcast about productized services, in particular about productized marketing services. You know, everything, I don't know if you remember way back in the day, we were talking to John McIntyre, the autoresponder guy, up through Authority Engine, up Ben Kruger's podcasting editing service through Damian Thompson and the rise of productized services, an episode that was extremely popular last year. And I thought to myself, you know, could we make another episode that would sort of contribute to this series? And maybe we could lay this out so people could download it as a series. And so that's what we're going to do here today. The first person that jumped into my head is Tristan King. He has a great business called ShopifyNinjas.com. He has a lot of thoughts about how you can build productized marketing services, how they progress through one, your first and second year, which are where most people get snagged up outside of getting started. And we're going to talk about his view and advice for people getting started from the third year of a successful location-independent productized service business. So in the first part of this episode, I've actually asked Tristan to donate some more ideas because he's pretty focused on Shopify ninjas. So I figure, what the heck, why don't we get some of Tristan's productized service ideas that he feels could be winners for some of the listeners of Tropical MBA podcast. And then in the second part of the episode, we're going to dig into the details of how Tristan creates profitable product conceptions and service packages and how he delivers them to his clients. You can find us in the comments as well as all the show notes in the entire series of episodes about starting productized service businesses at this blog post, tropicalmba.com slash Shopify ninjas. So I'm going to start the show by asking Tristan, what are some ideas that he has about business that he feels are underrepresented in the blogosphere? As someone who's been at this now for sort of two or three years, I think the biggest misconception is that it's easy and you just sort of throw up a sales page with a big buy now button and then start rolling in the cash tomorrow. I think you guys have done a lot of good demystification with the thousand day principle and a lot of what you guys talk about, the hustle that's needed to build up a business that's sustainable. But I think that's the biggest misconception from a lot of sort of lifestyle design bloggers is that you can start tomorrow, throw up a membership site and you'll be taking, you know, $5,000 a month and off you go to Thailand on the beach. It is a lot of hustle, a lot of fun, but also a lot of hard work too. <laughs> what was the time frame for you from big buy now button to beach in Thailand? What was the biggest struggle for you from getting to the buy now to the sustainable business? 
the biggest struggle initially was knowing how to frame things to get customers. And I also had too many ideas going on at the one time. I think when I first started out, I had probably five or 10 different projects. So for me, testing to see what was going to be the winner and what were the multiple losers, of which there were many, was one of the trickiest parts. And I think from there, it was really about framing things in the right way that allowed customers to stick around. It's easy to think that people are just going to flood in the door because you can build something on Shopify or you can design a brochure or whatever it is. But I think finding real customers and articulating what you can do to help them was the the biggest challenge in the beginning. When you found the offer that worked, how long do you feel like, what's a reasonable time frame for you to you were like, hey, this thing is going to be real and I can maybe move around a little bit while I'm doing it? I probably worked on the business for about a year and a half before I went on any kind of an extended trip. The biggest lengthy test I did was about three months in South America to visit my wife's family in Colombia. And prior to that, I had been mostly working on things just as I would if I were in a corporate role still, but doing it from home instead. So I'd say it was probably about a year and a half of building the business before I felt comfortable traveling around at the same time. And I had a couple of people working in my team to keep things moving if I wasn't at the computer all the time. Let's just warp back a little bit. I'm interested if you could tell me what the turning points were for you in deciding to be an entrepreneur. There are two clear turning points that I can remember. So I'd been working in corporate for a while. I spent about five years at IBM and two or three at a couple of other companies. And I really enjoyed that. But after a while, I felt like I was kind of the hamster spinning on the wheel. I didn't really feel like there was a lot of room for me to move up. And I was also starting to be around some people who were either unambitious or overly negative. And that that really started to get me down for quite a while after coming back from a trip I would feel sort of the post-vacation blues. So they were the the real two turning points was just realizing that I didn't want to keep climbing the corporate ladder and being around people that were impacting me in a negative way. The real trigger point for that was I had an operation on my shoulder and I was going to have to take two weeks off anyway. I was almost on the fence of deciding, okay, I'm going to resign from the corporate world and start my own thing. And I figured that was as good a time as any to sort of cut the cord I'm going to have to take this time off anyway. And yeah, that was really when I broke away from it and decided I was going to give it a real go at starting my own business. So my hope, Tristan, and part of the reason I wanted to talk to you is that one of our most popular series on TMBA is our series about productized services, in particular marketing services, because I feel like anybody can start a marketing services business, even if they don't have a technical background or a particular credential. And uh, I'm curious as to how you see yourself kind of carrying that standard. We were talking about Damian Thompson's episode where he laid out, you know, the process of starting a marketing services business basically correlates with the thousand day principle over three years. So in the first year, you would learn a marketable skill. In the second year, you would learn how to sell it. In the third year, you would learn how to scale it. And I'm curious as to how your business has tracked with that general theory. It's interesting thinking about this, and I really enjoyed these couple of episodes that you guys did earlier about the productized services, and Damien's one was a great one. In the beginning, it probably took me about six months or so to replace my corporate income. It was maybe a little bit faster than the 1,000-day principle, but looking back on it with the framework of sort of learn, sell, and then scale, I'm really in the scaling phase now, and it has been about three years. So I think when you look at the higher level, it's been at about the right point. I think the, the biggest takeaway that I had starting a productized services business was this idea of relative expertise, that you don't necessarily need to be the best at what you do yet. You just need to know more than the people that you're going to help. And in the beginning, that was very much the case for me. So the first couple of hundred days at least was 
a lot of learning and just knowing slightly more than the people who were paying me to do Shopify development. And that's kind of how it blossomed from there. So I think overall, the beginning of replacing my previous salary was maybe a bit quicker. But the scaling, I think, has rolled out almost right to the point. It's almost like Damien was watching me, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to get into really the details of how you grew this business. But Before, I was hoping, I recently we did an episode called 10 Business Ideas that you can do that we think could be successful, but we don't have enough time. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to donate some marketing services, productized service business ideas to the audience today. Sure, I'd love to. When we started talking about this via email, I went for a long walk yesterday and lots of ideas started flooding into my head. So that'd be great. One fairly big trend that I noticed through a lot of people who have maybe medium-sized online businesses similar to mine is this need for infographics. So I had a couple developed for some internal processes and I think one for my blog. I know you've started working with an infographic developer for the Dynamite Circle Conference and I've seen a couple of great graphics on the TMBA blog as well. I think a productized service for infographics could work really well. Obviously, infographics can be extremely complex or they could be very simple. I think there'd be a marker for something in the middle where maybe you get an infographic that has 500 words and 10 graphics for X hundred dollars and it will be delivered within five days. I think if you started something like that, you'd be able to refine it down to a couple of different levels. But I think that an infographic service would probably be something that there'd be a lot of market for. Very cool. Keep going. All right. (laughs) Another one that would be kind of scratching my own itch. Last year, I incorporated turning from a sole trader into an incorporated company and finding a location independent savvy accountant to help me do that was very much an uphill battle. (laughs) I know David and his team at Greenback Tax Services have some great advice and some great support for people in the US. And I think it would be a great productized services business to have something like that for international clients. So it could be the Greenback Tax Services for Australia or for, for European residents. But I really struggled to find someone in Australia that knew what they were talking about and understood my business as someone who wants to be location independent. So I think there could be a potentially a service around that too. Excellent. You want me to keep going? Absolutely. All right. I got two more for you. <laughs> this is gold. The next area that I saw some potential opportunity in is some kind of an analytics, initial setup, and then monthly reporting for, I guess, busy business owners who would rather spend their time doing other things. I think when you're first getting set up, you've got the time to really delve into analytics and it's a huge return on investment as you would know, Dan. But I think as you grow, it's much better either to have someone in-house or to have someone else do the analytics for you. And maybe I'm just a bit lazy when it comes to analytics, but I would love for someone to proposition me with, it's going to be X hundred dollars for three months. We'll do an initial setup and make sure that all of your analytics are working perfectly. Tell us the top five things that you want to analyze and your revenue streams. And from there, we'll deliver you a report for three months. I would bite on that tomorrow if someone proposed that to me, because I find it's quite tricky. Either people will work with you ongoing at you know, maybe $1,000 a month to do really in-depth reporting, or you can read a blog post about how to do it yourself in five hours. But I'm finding there's not too much in between, not that I've discovered anyway. So I think some kind of an analytics service with an initial setup and then an ongoing reporting will be really cool. Love it. The last one I have for you is maybe quite specialized, but maybe there's someone out there listening who'll be interested. So I have a Shopify theme as part of my business. And I mean, there are hundreds of Shopify themes out there at the moment. What I've found is that there are a lot of solopreneurs or smaller companies releasing themes, and it doesn't have to be for Shopify. It could be for 
WordPress, it could be for WordPress plugins, any kind of a, a zip file that someone's going to download. They can take a lot of time and energy to support if you actually want to provide good service and not have an autoresponder that makes people want to kill you. I think there would be a market for some kind of, you're a premium Shopify theme support company, let's say, and you have a small team of developers that knows the top five or the top 10 Shopify themes back to front. And they kind of act as an insourced team to support your themes. So that would mean that I wouldn't need to log into my Zendesk each day and answer tickets, but I could then outsource that to someone who speaks really well and who knows my theme back to front. I think providing sort of an insourced theme or plugin support is potentially a very scalable idea if you are a, a support company. I've actually thought at times about doing this myself because I'm a big Shopify geek and I know most of the themes back to front. I've thought about doing this in my own business, but I kind of realized I don't really want to become a, a customer support company at this point. I want to focus on the front-end development and the business stuff. So that's why I haven't pursued that one myself. But I really see I could spot three or four theme developers out there at the moment who potentially could use a service like this and would, would at least consider it. Shopify Ninjas is a web development company that helps entrepreneurs and business owners build wonderful stores and businesses based around a specific e-commerce system called Shopify. There are quite a few big e-commerce systems out there. Shopify is one of them, and it's backed by people like Mark Cuban, Tim Ferriss, Tina Roth Eisenberg and a few other big players who've gotten involved over the past couple of years, which is extremely exciting. So we specialize in web development for Shopify. And we tend to work with mostly small to medium businesses, more and more larger businesses getting onto Shopify, but mostly in the, the small to medium range. We've been around for almost three years now. And at the moment, I work full time. I have two developers and a project manager and an administration person who helps me as well. So we're probably about four or four and a half people in total. And every time I get an email from you, Tristan, just to give the audience an idea of the kind of success that you're seeing, it's like, I'm in Japan with my wife, I'm in South America with my wife. So this has created an automated, solid income for you. It's become a real asset for you. Absolutely. I've still got a long way to go, but the past few years have been a real adventure and I have been able to do a lot of things that I really wanted to do. So we did a three-month trip to South America. Last year, we were on the road for about nine months, mostly in Asia, coming over to visit you guys at the DC conference. And we also spent three months in Europe. So I would say it's it's part automated and part location independent. So I, when we're traveling, usually I still work a little bit each day at least. And that's good for me because I'm kind of, I get ants in my pants if I don't work for a little while. <laughs> So I do still work, but being able to work from anywhere and having a decent stream of income that just keeps coming in also makes a huge difference. So we have been able to do some exciting things over the past couple of years, that's for sure. <laughs> Get us back to the genesis, if you can. What gave you the idea for Shopify Ninjas. And once you had that idea, what were the actions that you took to get an offer in front of customers and to get them buying? So at the time, when I resigned from my last corporate role, I was working on probably at least six or seven different projects all at the same time. I was writing a book to put up on Amazon. I was interning with someone running a membership site and I was selling some compression gear, which is meant to help muscle recovery after exercise. Now, Dan, have you ever seen maybe football players or sort of high-level athletes who need to recover quickly wearing some weird, tight, lycra-looking pants? Yes. Yeah, they're not pretty, but they do work. <laughs> 
And at the time I was experimenting with them myself, I won't send you any photos of that or you'll be horrified. But I started selling them online and I saw a blog post called How to Bribe People to Start Companies on the 4-Hour Workweek blog. And that prompted me to sign up for a Shopify account and start selling the compression gear. I kind of struck up a deal with my trainer at the time where he would send an email out to all of the people that were in my fitness group. So that was an immediate sort of in with a couple of hundred potential customers. And that's where I started to learn more and more about Shopify. And I'd been involved in the web for a long time. Now I was project managing websites for probably eight or nine years, but I hadn't been involved too much on the technical side. After I built this website selling said weird looking compression gear, one of my friends said to me, oh, did you build that site? I need a website too. Can you build me one? And the light bulb kind of came on, right? <laughs> I started really understanding more and more about Shopify and being able to do some pretty cool things. From there, that's where the original idea came from. And the first time I ever put out an offer was I bought a domain name. I think I set up a website probably in about two or three days. Dan Norris and the, the seven-day startup principle is definitely possible if you start small. I started scouring the Shopify forums. There was a jobs board with people looking for help with just very small problems, maybe two or three hours work at a time. And I just started helping people with their problems. If I didn't know off the top of my head, I would Google it. I would look at my demo store and figure things out. And then I would point them to my website. So that's really where everything started. Selling that compression gear, learning more about Shopify, and then just hustling every morning on the Shopify forums for an hour or two, trying to find potential customers. And it sort of led off from there. So the customers then, would you quote them like, hey, I'll build you a store for $3,000? Or what was the moment that you introduced the productization in the service? In the first phase, it was really, you know, I need my logo change from size A to size B. It was very small projects of two to three hours. So normally I would say I'll charge you four hours worth of work at this rate. And I just made a rate off the top of my head using what I saw on the experts portal on Shopify, what other people were charging. What was the rate? I think I started at about $55 an hour, which was mostly to undercut everyone else that was on there. <laughs> Most people were probably charging between 70 to 150. But seeing as I was starting out and I wanted customers, I thought, oh, I'll start on the low side. <laughs> it wasn't until I had done probably four or five of those smaller jobs that I then transitioned into building a full store for someone. I actually found them through Elance. They were looking for someone basically to pay them $5 an hour and I quoted them 50. And in the end, he said, actually, I wasn't really looking for someone for $5 an hour. I just wanted someone who would do a good job and who fit my budget of X, whatever the amount was for the project. After I did the meeting at three o'clock in the afternoon, I think I rushed home and by five o'clock, I put a proposal template together with an offer of everything that I would do. And I sent that out to them directly and they accepted it. And that was almost three years ago. And that offer still forms the basis for the proposals that I do now. Obviously, that has evolved. <laughs> but it was really a case of, okay, someone wants to pay me to build a website. I better figure out exactly what it is that I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do and send that to them as a, as a proposal. And it kind of took off from there. Now, a lot of people take the advice to start marketing services, productized services, businesses, and they get to a point where they're more or less kind of surviving on the income from these services. But I feel like there's a dip. For some reason, people really get snagged. They find it difficult to scale it to the point where they can travel, where the income's coming in, where the pipeline's full. Why do you think people get hung up? What have you seen out there? And why do you think you were able to push through that? 
Sure, I think there is a big element of that too, and I've definitely been through it myself as well. I think it's because in the beginning you have this big dream, right? You know, you see yourself with your laptop sitting on Rayleigh Beach in Thailand, working away while looking at the water for an hour, and then going scuba diving for eight hours. And I think the transition between that dream and reality sometimes causes a bit of the onset of the dip, or at least it did for me. So I think you start the business as it grows to a point where you need to work on it full time. It's fantastic in a way because you've built something that now is going to sustain your lifestyle, but it also gets to the point where you want to move beyond that. And I think that's what causes a lot of the dip. So I think it's the realization that, okay, once you get to the point where you've built something that could sustain your income, you still need to be working a lot or find ways to hire people or to systematize so that you can kind of work yourself out of the business. One of the things I've noticed is there's these moments when, you know, you're making $50,000 a year and like, that's kind of a good salary. But if you want to grow a business, you have to take 25,000 of that and invest it back into the business. Did you have difficulty taking away sort of your quote livelihood in order to reinvest it in the business? Do people get snagged up there? I feel like that's one of the challenges. I definitely think that's one of the biggest challenges. And I did go through that too. The first few months I was living a lot on savings. I had a couple of sort of small consulting gigs to substitute the income, but I was definitely sort of chipping into my savings. I do think that is kind of like a pain in your side for the first little while, especially because you do see the revenue start to bump, but you have to pump it all back into the business again, into hiring other people or building systems or getting software packages or whatever it is that you need to start. And that's where I think it's useful to have your eyes on the prize and think about things like the 1,000 day principle where it's not going to be an overnight journey and I'm still not there yet. It does take a while to get through these things and I, I do think the investment in your business, if you go with your gut, normally it will pay off. I mean, a specific example for me would be in the beginning, all I was doing was building websites or tweaking websites at an hourly rate and things really changed for me when I saw that there was no really great way to build a store in two languages on Shopify. And that's where the idea for this bilingual thing came from. So I invested several thousand of my income over the next few months paying developers and in my own time to build up an asset that I now sell over and over again. And at the time, that was quite painful because that was just my website runway going out the window. But that's then been paying itself off for a couple of years now. So I think it can be a real challenge, Dan. But I think if you make the right investments, it's really going to pay off in the long term. I'm going to ask you about some of the specific products that you sell, but more on what you just said. Are there some other assumptions that you made at the beginning when you were starting Shopify Ninjas that turned out to be wrong? Some things that you thought when you were starting that now three years into it, you're like, wow, I wish I would have thought differently about those things. There are two or three big assumptions that I was wrong with in the beginning. The first one was how much time it takes to scope out a project. So in the beginning, I was only quoting, if I thought the development was going to take me three hours, I would quote three hours. As with most projects, there's a setup time, there is Skype calls, there is training, there is time to do the proposal and a lot of extra time that goes around the edges. So I think especially with services business, there's a big risk to assume that, oh, it's going to be five minutes. I just send one email and the project gets landed <laughs> and someone's sending me several thousand dollars. It doesn't quite work like that. There's a lot of setup time and a lot of training time that goes into it too. Once I started budgeting the project management and the setup time into the projects, that helped a lot. But that was one assumption that I got way wrong right at the start of, in the beginning. The other one was making the wrong assumption that people will just click a buy now button for a recurring service based off a small amount of information. So I have a WP Curve style support program. It's pretty small at the moment. I don't have a lot of customers that I work with on that because it's very in-depth. But initially I did think that 
you know, maybe people will come to the page and just start hitting the buy now button. And then that's a recurring monthly thing that comes in each month. I think Dan must be working miracles because he seems to have a really, really great growing business. But another wrong assumption that I had was, you know, you put something like that out there and people are going to just hit buy without wanting to talk to you more. I alluded briefly before to the bilingual theme. That is our biggest selling product and one that we've also built a productized service around. I'm a big language geek and one of the real reasons I wanted to start my own business was to free up time to be able to learn and practice other languages. And through some research, I realized there wasn't a great way to build a store in two languages on Shopify. So we spent about six months or so creating a bilingual theme that helps people run a store in two languages. I think so far we've had maybe between 10 and 15 languages and a couple of hundred store owners around the world use the theme, which has been really, really exciting for me. What I did find after releasing that product was that some people, they didn't want to go in and configure all the settings and input the translations and set up their menus and all that kind of configuration stuff themselves. What they wanted was set up five products for me and five pages and set up my menus and basically send me the store 80% done. Just send me a login. Here is your new website. So one productized service that we built around that was a bilingual theme store setup. So for $500, you send me a one email and in 48 hours, I send you a login to your new Shopify store with your logo uploaded, four or five products loaded, and basically everything is set up for you. So all you do is just go in and do the basics. So that's been a really nice addition for us because A, it promotes the product and makes it easier for people to use. And B, we've then built a very specific sort of well-defined service around that one which makes people's lives easier and is sort of our bread and butter to set up as well. This is just brilliant. I can't help myself but to weigh in a little bit how you've cash flowed your education in Shopify by essentially doing freelance at the beginning and then, you know, building it into a service provider. And now the products start to emerge. You know, you talk to people, you put ideas in front of people. It's like a buffet of kind of offers. And then one thing emerges and becomes a product. Does it have its own domain now? Have you broken that bilingual theme into its own product that exists independently of Shopify Ninjas? It's on the Shopify Ninjas domain, but I use just a landing page. So it it doesn't have my header or my logo or anything like that. So it looks somewhat separate. And we do have a demo store for it as well, which is separate, but it's still officially part of the Shopify Ninjas domain. I want to talk about how you develop your pipeline, but I'm curious as to how you calculate costs. I think this is a tricky thing. You said you have two full-time developers, so you're charging $500 for these 48-hour turnaround. How do you determine what your cost is on that $500 revenue stream? Those two developers, one works about 30 hours a week and the other one's part-time too, so they're not quite full-time yet. Basically, I know more or less how much time it would take me to set it up and I know, therefore, roughly what we should be charging at an hourly rate. So I would then factor in how much I would need to pay someone else to do that. That then gives me a rough idea of the cost. So I have a spreadsheet that I use and I can sort of tweak the hourly rates and that kind of thing. But almost all of the productized services that we've put together, like there's this bilingual store set up. I also have one where we set up goods and services tax or GST for Australian customers with weird accents like me. I develop those purely based on I know it should take me about this long to do it. And if I pay someone else to do it, what would be our profit margin? So it's really based on time. It is just a one-off packaged, one-priced service, but it's still based on the time of how long I know it would take me to do. So at DCBKK, you shared some interesting ways that you get clients. And I'm curious, I think this is a really tough thing with productized services, is keeping your foot on the gas when it comes to your pipeline. Because 
a lot of people, you know, okay, I got some clients, now I've got capacity issues. I'm curious as to how you keep that pipeline healthy while you're delivering for your customers. This is something I'm still figuring out and it's one of the bigger challenges in my business at the moment because we do tend to go from, you know, we're fully booked out to then being open and having a flood of inquiries come in, which is a very wonderful problem to have. It's a high quality problem, but it's definitely a tricky one. We get most of our inquiries through the Shopify experts portal or via our website from people who find us through terms like Shopify developer or maybe through a blog post. And the way that I handle that at the moment is quite often we'll be marked as booked out when we've sort of at capacity for the projects that we can deliver. But I have a Google form that I ask people to fill out if they still want to work with us. And I I might say something like, we're booked out until the end of February. If you've got a bit of flexibility in your timeline and you'd still like to work with us, come over and tell us about your project over here. Quite a few people still go and fill that one out because it's, it's not too far in the distant future. If it's maybe two or three weeks away, they know that they're not going to have to wait too long. That results in me almost always being at full capacity and also having a few leads still sort of in the bag that I can start following up on. I don't wait two or three weeks to revise those. I'll usually go in in the next day or two and give people a response. That then allows me to sort of start fleshing out the details of the project, giving people quotes and that kind of stuff. Then we might set a start date sort of two or three weeks in advance. It's maybe like a less glamorous version of a restaurant reservation system <laughs> where you know we're booked out for today and tomorrow, but if you want to book on Saturday, you can call in advance and, and make a reservation. So that Google form on our website helps me to do that. And then we just kind of set dates in the future. It's interesting. I think we've brought you up on the show in the past as an example of sort of being willing to be the guy. You know, whenever somebody says the word Shopify, I've always mentioned your name afterwards. So I think you've done a really successful job in terms of word of mouth marketing that way. And it's funny you mentioned that because I've noticed you are booked, seem to be booked out almost all the time. It's an interesting strategy. It's like the nightclub with the line out front. It's like, he must be doing something he must be great. <laughs> well, I'm not sure if it's quite as interesting or quite as exciting as the nightclub, but we are booked out or at least marked as booked out quite a bit of the time. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that. One is sometimes even when we booked out, people will still email me and see if we can organize a project. And sometimes I can, if it's a little bit in the future. And I think it's also that I haven't quite perfected this process yet to be at the point where I can always be open and be always taking in new inquiries because I really don't want to get to the point where we become like a website factory, right? And just start churning out websites that are really low quality because we're doing 50 projects at the same time. I would much rather be a bit rude and put something on our site saying we're booked out now, but could you talk to us in a couple of weeks so that we can still stay small and stay personal and be able to put our best work into things. I've heard a couple of times people in Shopify's office in Ottawa have mentioned us, especially for the bilingual theme. So that's been pretty exciting. I get a bit like a kid in a candy store when I hear those things. Yeah, I'm definitely still learning on how we can maybe open the pipeline up a bit more frequently, but still stay small and and personal. I really love catching you at this moment. You're at this stage where the business is incredibly healthy. It's empowered this incredible lifestyle that you enjoy now. I'm wondering what you feel like is your future. What is the next 1,000 days if you had to write that post? Are you concerned about the shelf life of your business? What scares you? What is challenging you? What do you feel like the next few years holds for you in this business model? If I start with some of the biggest challenges, I think one big challenge probably for most of us who like to start our own businesses and work on multiple projects at the same time is staying interested in things. And I definitely still feel really excited at the moment about Shopify. We get to see inside a lot of really cool businesses. So that's always exciting for me too. 
But I do think that eventually we'll want to change things up a little bit. And I guess one of the things that I want to make sure happens is that within the company, the team that's working with me, I want to make sure that things are kept interesting for them and for me as well. So I would say that's one of the biggest challenges is, you know, if you're working with the same system all the time, there's only so far that you can go, right? Creating new products, innovating, doing new things that have never been done before and and solving the bigger problems is what's really going to keep things interesting. I do think that the business has a fairly good shelf life at the moment. It was really just luck that I got involved with Shopify. I think when I started, they had about 15,000 stores and now it's somewhere around 200 or 250,000. And when you see people like Tim Ferriss and Richard Branson getting involved this year for the Shopify Build a Business competition, they're hiring out Necco Island, which to me is just insane that if you win this competition, you can go and get mentorship from Richard Branson and Tim Ferriss for a week. That is crazy. I still feel like Shopify is on the rise and it's only going to keep getting bigger. One of the biggest fears that I have would be for something to go wrong at Shopify. At the moment, my business is fairly dependent on Shopify. I see it as a great company and a very stable company at the moment. But yeah, there's always that little lurking darkness at the back of your brain that thinks, hang on, if something goes wrong with Shopify tomorrow, things are going to change drastically and very quickly. So that would be that would be one big fear. Could you talk about, I mean, because you're at the point where you're making significant income and revenues. What would you do You know, to people that say to you, hey, you know, this is really dumb. You even have Shopify in your domain name. By the way, is that a problem at all for you? And what do you say to people that say, hey, you shouldn't build your business around their ecosystem? Yeah, I think it's a valid consideration to have. I wouldn't say, oh, you're wrong. I definitely think it's it's good to think about. I did check with Shopify when I registered my domain and created my first logo and they said it was okay. And I was sure to file that away (laughs) for later on, just in case they ever ask about it. In my logo in the beginning, I did actually have their little shopping bag logo. They told me to get rid of that pretty quickly, but that was fine. I got that redesigned. And so far, the the domain name's not been a problem at all, especially because I bring them lots and lots of customers. So they seem to like me so far, at least. To people who would say, that you shouldn't base your business around one ecosystem. I think it's a valid point, but I think you need to look at the trade-off. So if you base your business around no ecosystem or around every ecosystem, it's much harder to reach customers. It has been in part because I've specialized in Shopify that it's gone well so far. I think there's also a market for people specializing in MailChimp or being the best at Aweber. We've seen the autoresponder guy and Damien with Infusionsoft and these kind of people basing their businesses around ecosystems. It really can work well, but I agree it is a risk. It's a mini Faustian bargain, but it's not permanent. So if Shopify went away tomorrow, I don't see why like you couldn't take all your clout and cash flow and things like that and transition to big commerce or e-commerce in general or WooCommerce or take on like a GPL platform, have a point of view about that. Like, hey, you know, Shopify is going south. Like that means you shouldn't be on them either. We should all be transferring our stores over to WooCommerce. Who's coming with me? Definitely. I think that's what I would do. If Shopify started to have some kind of a problem and the well dried up there, I would look to apply the same business model to something else. So it could be something like Big Commerce or Magento. It could even be some other ecosystem or some other system that is widely known and has an easy way to reach the marketplace. One great thing where I was very fortunate was that Shopify has this experts portal where people who are looking for developers go there to find people and they've got budgets and they want to work with real businesses. All 
I've done really is learn a skill and find a way to reach people, give them good service and try and be really proud of the projects that we do. It wouldn't be really difficult to port that over to another system. Exactly like you said, Dan, it could be WooCommerce, it could be BigCommerce, or it could be something like MailChimp or Infusionsoft like Damien has done or, or whatever it may be. Kind of replicate the same business model and use the skills that we've built up with the business so far in, in a different area. That's where I would go if Shopify were to fall over. My just feeling about it is, is that you made the right move and that if Shopify goes away, like that could represent a huge opportunity for you because now all of your customers are going to have the same problem, right? Something's going wrong with Shopify. Well, that's true. I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, chances are they're going to have the same sort of things and they do look to someone who knows Shopify back to front and who they ask questions to all the time for guidance. So if it were to go south, then yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that one. Well, and who knows how it would go south? Your business isn't dependent on Shopify. You're helping people like with e-commerce solutions and it's not the same as depending on a number one ranking in Google, right? It's not the same kind of dependence. So not all ecosystem dependencies are created equal. I would agree with you on that, Dan. And I also think that as the business grows, just like you mentioned, you get ideas for products and then you can start creating those. You also get ideas for lots of other mini services. So I never wanted to be a company that has like lots of nerdy guys sitting in a basement programming somewhere. We really want to work on the business side too. So we work with things like MailChimp all the time. We've started setting up Google apps for businesses that are on Shopify. We get involved in the analytics as well. So there are all these other little peripheral things around the edges that make me feel kind of like we get involved in the business side too. And I try and add whatever I can because I find it exciting, not just the sort of technical side of set up a website and then say goodbye and never talk to you again. So I do think, yeah, there'd be ways to transition there as well. I wouldn't be surprised if a few years from now you're e-commerce ninjas or similar, right? It could be something like that. And I think it relates back to what you guys have talked about a lot on the LBP or on the, the podcast before. People have asked you, hey guys, do you think that I should have one domain name with 20 different products or should I have 20 different domain names because I've got all these ideas? Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, but normally yours and Ian's answer is just start small and then you can always expand on and you can change domain names later on. That's kind of how I feel about it as well. So Tristan, you've been a really vocal, supportive member of the DC for a while now. And I'm curious as to if you have any feedback for me, like what are some things that we could do to improve that community? I've been a big proponent of the DC because it has really helped me so much. I think since joining, I've probably doubled or 2.5x my revenue in the last couple of years since being part of the DC. And it's been a game changer for me. I've met so many amazing people. I'm in a mastermind now, met people probably on three or four different continents now. So it's been really exciting. As far as improvements go, I think you guys are really on the right track. I mean, I imagine in the beginning, one of the biggest problems would have been generating enough content. And I kind of feel like now one of the biggest challenges is culling down or organizing all of the content there is into something that's easily digestible. You guys have improved the search recently, and I know there's a big catalog of sort of different topics in the DC. I think that helps as well. Finding certain threads or just reading about different topics, I think gets harder the bigger the community becomes and the more posts there are. So I think that's one of the bigger challenges to be improved, but I think that's really heading on the right track at the moment. So Tristan, I appreciate that. I'm assuming if anybody has any productized services, questions, you will be willing to help us out in the comments because that's how you grow your business, right? Is by going to where the customers are and responding. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll dive in there anytime. Sure. I'd love to. So we'll be at tropicalmba.com slash Shopify Ninjas. Thanks for joining us, Tristan. Thanks for having me on the show, Dan. It's been a pleasure. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.